Well, again, it's my joy uh, and privilege to be with you here this morning. I'm Daryl, the assistant pastor here. Our lead pastor, Elliot, is, uh, he's still suffering for the Lord in Scotland. Uh, so he is, I think, coming back today. I don't know what's going on. He's coming through airports, so going to get COVID. Uh, so he, uh, he'll be home soon. Britta, his wife, has been holding it down. So pray for her, actually. Don't pray for Elliot. He does it. He's not worthy. Um, we're glad that you're here with us. If you've uh, been visiting with us or you've been um, attending with us for a while, we are walking through our uh, fall series. Uh, we are looking at the book of Acts uh, and looking at the Acts of the Apostles, the continued Acts of Jesus, the, uh, one of the original names pitched for the book of Acts. Um, and so we are looking through uh, and, and looking at the verse. It's sort of the thesis statement for the book of Acts is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so we as God's church, kind of in the present day, what does it look like to look back on what that first church experienced uh, and ask for the Holy Spirit to do the same for us? Uh, so we were walking through last week, we, uh, we kind of hit the, uh, like the uber famous passage of uh, what it was like when the first church gathered, uh, that there were signs and wonders being done, that there were um, those who were being added to their numbers daily, uh, those who were being saved, how that first church shared all that they had in common. They shared uh, their, um, they gathered around the teaching of the apostles, they shared their possessions, they did everything together. Uh, and now as we come to Acts 3, we really see that uh, the church is going out uh, and we see the first miracle that takes place kind of in this new era uh, of what the church is experiencing. So we'll be in Acts chapter 3. Uh, it's quite a bit of reading today. We're going to be in verses 2 through 8 and then 11 through 25. Uh, so let's give our attention to the reading of God's word this morning from Acts chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 2. If you have a copy of the scriptures, it'll also be on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them on the portico of Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And by his name and by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouths of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, would suffer he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. As Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. For you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let's pray together. Father God, our great King Jesus, uh, the wonderful Holy Spirit, we come uh, praying uh, in your Trinitarian name uh, that you would uh, illuminate this passage. Uh, Jesus, would you help this make sense for us? Um, Father God, would you uh, send the Holy Spirit uh, to do what is asked of us in this passage, to turn our hearts uh, back to you? Uh, So Jesus, whatever you have for us, um, awaken Awaken our souls, uh, that we would rise uh, and sing praise to you, and that we would leave rejoicing for all that you've done. Uh, For it's in your name we do pray. Amen. Uh, So with that reading of the scripture, we see really uh, Luke, who wrote uh, the book of Acts, wants us to see a couple things here. Uh, Two things we're going to see here in this passage. One is kingdom leaping, and the second is kingdom living. So let's run along with Luke, looking again at the beginning of chapter three, uh, beginning with kingdom Leaping. If we look at uh, where Luke wants us to pick up in this passage, we have Peter and John, and they're heading to the temple for prayer. Uh, this would have been a normal practice for them. They didn't stop doing this just because they spent time with Jesus. Um, in fact, Jesus would have done this if he were with them. Uh, they would have gone to the, to the temple uh, often and constantly because, one, they were good Jewish kids. They would have done this. Uh, but then as followers of Jesus and now as apostles, Uh, of Jesus tasked with taking the good news of gospel freedom into the world, it would have made sense that they would have gone to the temple because that's where all the people were. Uh, That's where those who were going to worship God would have gone to congregate, so they would have gone there uh, to to preach and to teach uh, the message of what they had learned uh, in their time with Jesus. Uh, And so Luke tells us as they're heading to the temple, they would have, uh, which they would have done again routinely year after year, they encounter a man who uh, Luke tells us was lame from birth, and who was carried, it tells us, uh, to the temple every time the temple was open. Uh, So for years and years, this man was brought to this spot. Commentators tell us this would have been decades. This man probably would have been his late 20s or 30s, that he would have been brought to the temple all the time there to beg for alms, uh, placed, Luke tells us, uh, at the beautiful gate in the outer courts of the temple. Uh, It wouldn't have been far-fetched, y'all, that uh, Peter and John would have seen this guy before. If they had gone to the temple every day, every week, every Sabbath, and this man was there begging every Sabbath, it's not far-fetched to believe that they would have ran into each other. Um, But for whatever reason, and we know that the end of the sermon is going to be because of a move of the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter and John noticed this guy this time. Um, that as he's begging for alms, Luke tells us that Peter looks and turns his eyes and turns his gaze uh, toward this man. Peter and John see him, and Peter engages the man, and the man, uh, Luke tells us, is expecting something from them. And then uh, Peter hits him with, hey, I don't have any money for you. 
but what I do have is better than money. He says, silver and gold have I none, but I can give you this. Sounded a lot like the way that I proposed to my wife, Mackenzie. Hey, I don't have any money, but I can do you a little better than that. You can pick up my towels for the rest of our lives. Um, they, go, they go to this man who's just, he just wants some money, right? He, his, his sustenance, his subsistence is based upon people's generosity to him. So he goes begging for money every time he's there. He just needs some money. And Peter and John look at him and say, you actually need more than this, man. You need more than this. Uh, and we don't have anything to give you. So we're not, we're, we're, we don't even have, it's not like we're withholding from you. I don't even have any money to give you. But I say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And Luke tells us that this man began to leap. If we look at verse eight, here's what Luke says. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Twice in the same verse, Luke, who wrote this, wanted us to know that this man was leaping. So we have to ask ourselves, why does this matter? And all of scripture, anytime anything is repeated, it means it's, it's something we need to pay attention to. If you know the story of the seraphim who fly around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not saying holy, holy, holy because that's one of like the five or six words that they know. They're saying holy, holy, holy because they want us to know, hey, pay attention here this guy is holy. In the Psalms, when we see the psalmist write, my soul waits on the Lord more than watchmen in the morning, more than watchmen in the morning. He's saying it over and over saying, hey, pay attention to this. Pay attention to how much my soul is waiting on the Lord. And here's Luke saying, hey, Jews who are listening, Jews who are watching, Jews at the temple, pay attention here. This man is leaping. He's leaping. And that would have been important because in their call to worship, as we said, the call to worship is what we do at the beginning of the service. Some of you probably missed, you missed that a lot. It's fine. Um, when the call to worship, when we say this, uh, that Isaiah, who, uh, who was prophesying this messianic prophecy, said, the lame shall leap like the deer. This is what Luke is wanting us to see. That the kingdom is moving because this guy is leaping that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame leap. When the Holy Spirit comes around, you're gonna start seeing crazy things happen. When the Spirit is on the move, you're gonna start seeing crazy things happen. And this man says, uh, Luke tells us that this man leapt for joy, which meant that the Holy Spirit is here and he is here in full force, which means God has not forgotten about this guy. God has not forgotten about this man who has never walked before. The church, which has exploded, if you remember, in the sermon that we talked about last week, it went from 120 one week to 3,120 the, the next week. And daily, people were becoming members of the church and the apostles and all that were in, tenden, in attendance were seeing many signs and wonders. And the signs and wonders they were seeing were the miracles of suffering that was being alleviated. That's what's going on here. This man's suffering is being alleviated. That's the point of miracles. That's the point of miracles in scripture. Whenever a miracle takes place, it's to alleviate someone's suffering. We see this in all the Old Testament miracles, especially in the miracles that Jesus performed uh, in the gospels. That when we would come to make a blind man see, to make a deaf person hear, when he turned water into wine, all those things were to alleviate the suffering of the folks who were receiving the miracles, 
and this first church is saying, we're going to alleviate the suffering of the world through the apostles and through their teaching and through the gathering together and through us pulling our resources and helping pay folks rent. All those things were gonna help alleviate the suffering. This is why miracles were not just party tricks. The disciples could have easily have done some skywriting. They could have easily done something crazy to get attention, but that's not the point of miracles. They were never wasted. We see in scripture, it's the, it always points to a truer reality, which is that miracles aren't a suspension of the natural order. As my friend Les Newsom says, miracles are a restoration of the natural order. And when a miracle takes place, it's to show the one receiving the miracle and all those watching that the sin and suffering that has taken place in this world is not how this world was intended to be. That when we see a miracle, it shows us pre-fall what would have happened, what the world would have looked like in Genesis, and what the world is going to look like when Jesus comes back. It takes away this karmic retribution idea that plagued uh, the thought of this day and even the thought of our day. That if something bad is happening to this man, if something bad is happening to you, it must be because you did something. This is what Job and his friends were dealing with, right? When his friends were sitting with Job as he was suffering and they were silent with him for about three days, and then after the third day, one of them spoke up and said, hey, Job, what'd you do? What'd you do to make God so mad at you? When we see Jesus healing the man who was born blind, they asked the question, hey, who sinned? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin that made him blind? And Jesus said it was neither. And so that the power of God could be displayed. That when we look at what the point of miracles are in scripture, it's never uh, this karmic retribution because suffering, or rather miracles are always, always brought to alleviate suffering and to show us that there's a coming a day when suffering is no more. And so every day this man was brought to the temple. Every day he's begging for alms. Every day he's there asking people for money. I need to, I need to exist, I need to exist. And Peter comes and says, get up and walk. I wanna show you the power of God that is in that's gonna take place. I'm gonna give you a small foretaste of the glory of divine that's going to come and it's going to come and heal this man, this powerful work of the Holy Spirit. He leapt just like the scriptures said that he would. Just like scriptures said that he would. If you recall the story of John the Baptist, if you know who he is in scripture, he was the cousin of Jesus um, and Old Jay the B, he found himself in prison. Uh, he's in trouble. He's about to die. Um, he has spent his life being a prophet. He was the uh, kind of the forerunner, the path trailblazer for Jesus to come. Uh, and he's in prison and he's about to die. And as he's sitting there in his prison cell, waiting for his head to be chopped off, some of his disciples come to him and he says, Hey, go find Jesus. And ask Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the one? So much doubt, so much fear, the suffering that John the Baptist is in, he just needed to hear from Jesus. Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one who is gonna make all the crooked roads straight? 
Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one who's gonna flatten these mountains? Are you the one who's gonna beat all the swords and the plowshares? Are you really the one who moves sin as far as the east is from the west? Jesus didn't need, John the Baptist rather, didn't need Jesus to march around Jericho seven times and make it fall to prove who he was. He just wanted to hear from his Jesus that he was who he says he was. He needed to hear from Jesus that Jesus had not forgotten him. And so his disciples go to Jesus and ask him, hey, Jesus, are you the one John wants to know? And, John, and Jesus says, go and tell John. Go and tell my cousin. Go tell the one that I said in scripture is the greatest man that's ever been born of a woman. Go and tell John that the blind see. Go and tell John that the deaf hear. Go and tell John that the lame will leap. Go and tell John that my kingdom will spread and my name will be renowned and that his life was not in vain and that his suffering mattered and that his suffering doesn't have a bottom and that there will come a day that my word will cover this world the way that the waters cover the sea. Go and tell John and look him in the eyes and tell John the lame will leap for joy. This messianic promise was a comfort to all who had followed Jesus. This promise was a comfort for this man who was begging at the temple. And it's a promise for you and it's a promise for me. That in that twilight moment when our head smacks the pillow and we're about to fall asleep. I don't know if you sleep that aggressively, I do. When, your head, when you lay your head on the pillow and you're about to fall asleep and you're wondering, is Jesus really who he says he is? Because man, I blew it. Man, I blew it today. Jesus, are you really are who you say you are? Because my kid went to the bathroom in the bathtub five seconds ago and I'm furious. Jesus, are you really are who you say that you are? Because I just want my relationship with my dad to be better. Jesus, are you really the one who's gonna restore all this stuff? Are you really the one who makes all things new? Or do I need to wait on somebody else? Jesus, are you the one who's gonna do this for me? And we have this messianic promise in scripture that comes to us in those moments of our doubt and says, the lame leap, the blind see, the deaf hear, relationships are restored. I'm the one who does all of this. And what this miracle gave, what it is ultimately intended for us on this day and for all who see it, was an opportunity not only for a man to be made well, but for an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Because the one thing that is always true is that while our suffering is great, and while our suffering is real, our suffering is never our biggest problem. Sin is always our biggest problem. The kingdom isn't moving just to alleviate suffering. The kingdom moves to do that. That the kingdom moves to proclaim the gospel on the earth. That the kingdom alleviates suffering because the kingdom deals with sin and deals with our sin. And this man who is kingdom leaping provides the opportunity for kingdom living, which brings us to our second and final point. That Luke tells us that the formerly lame man clung to Peter and John, if we look in verses 11 through the end of the chapter, uh, they find him, he followed them onto Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico as it's known uh, was exactly what it sounds like. It was a porch on the outer temple or outer courts of the temple where people would gather a lot. Speakers would go there to congregate. It was acoustically beneficial for whoever was speaking uh, that they would be in this spot. Jesus himself uh, would preach from the spot often. Uh, there was one time when Jesus roasted the Pharisees so hard on Solomon's porch that they tried to stone him and kill him. If you know that story, this is where that happened. 
And so Peter and John are going to that place because that's where the sinners were. The sinners were always on the outside of the temple. And so they're going to say, uh, as this man here is begging, and Peter boldly stands and says, you have to know, y'all, you have to know. I didn't heal him because there's something special about me. We weren't able to heal this guy, he says, because of our piety or because of my power. He's saying there's nothing about me that makes me so holy to the point that I was able to heal this guy. The reason I healed this guy was because of the power of Jesus through me and you killed him. That's a fun sermon to hear. You killed him. This is what Peter is saying. Peter boldly stands to say, you are here at the temple. You're here at God's house to hear the story of a God who has not forgotten you, to hear about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of your fathers. And here's the thing, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the God of your fathers all pointed to Jesus and he was put right in front of you and you rejected him. You rejected him because of your inability to bow your knee to Jesus and the messianic message that he brought. He's saying, Jesus was right in front of you and you missed him. And still you're here at this temple trying to find something and I'm telling you, what you're looking for has already come and you rejected him because you were too blind to see it. And Peter is saying that this man isn't going to prosper because his legs are working. This man is going to prosper because his sins are forgiven. He's not going to prosper because he has two good legs now and he can start a job and he can get off of welfare and he can buy a nice starter home over in Sylvan Park. Don't mistake this lesser miracle of making this guy walk for the greater miracle that has taken place, that this man was dead and his trespasses and his sins in which he once walked. And now because of Christ, he has been brought from darkness and into his marvelous light. What makes this day special is not that his legs were restored, What makes this moment special is that this man standing before God was restored. Peter tells us his faith that came through Jesus is why this man was made well. Friends, your suffering isn't the worst thing about you. And we say that not to diminish your suffering, it's real. What Peter is saying is there is a heart condition that has to be dealt with. And that the greater miracle that we're finding here is that for those of us in this room who have placed our trust in Jesus, who have received and rested in him alone for salvation, who have looked at the works that he did and said, I want Christ's work to count for me on my behalf. I'm gonna take my moral resume. I'm gonna ball it up. I'm gonna throw it away. I'm gonna plead what Jesus has done for me on my behalf, that you are a miracle in this room if that's what you've pled. Because what that means is that your hearts, which were spiritually dead, your hearts that were spiritually lame, are now made right before God. And Peter says the greatest problem facing humanity is that humanity fails to bow a knee in submission to Jesus. And that their hearts are as dead as this man's ACLs. That their hearts were dead. His legs were dead. His legs didn't work. And not, it's not falling to the trap that just, been now, just because he's walking around now means that he's okay. Because you can have two good legs and still go to hell. It happens all the time. What Jesus is saying is that this man's heart had to be made right. That we don't fall into the trap of believing that because we're in the cool looking church and the cool part of town that there's something special about us. That's not the case. 
what makes you different, what makes you special, what makes you beloved, what makes you adopted, what makes you justified, what makes you sanctified, what will one day make you glorified is that Jesus has looked upon you with affection and adoration and says, I want to make you mine. And so Peter is here and he's preaching the sermon and he says in verse 19, repent and turn back. Repent and turn back, but turn back to what Peter, he tells us in verse 25, turn back to the covenant that God the Father made with Abraham and all of his descendants. The covenant, that this promise that was made between God and Abraham that God would be his God and Abraham and all of his descendants would be God's people, that he would always be with them. Peter's saying return to that. Return to the God who in Genesis before the fall in Genesis one and two met with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That God is always with them. That's why the covenant's such a big deal. Because God knew that we couldn't keep it. He's saying turn back to the covenant because the covenant is the story of God moving toward you. Not moving away from you. That when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, he says, hey, build a tabernacle because I want to be with you. When they get to the promised land, they establish Jerusalem as a city. He says, build the temple so that my presence can be there so that I can be with you. When Jesus comes, when Jesus is born in his incarnation in the gospels, one of Christ's names literally is Emmanuel, God with us. And then in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, we see that the point of scripture, this overarching theme where the, where the rainbow ends, where it lands, the pot of gold there for us as Christians is that God is with us. That there is no need for sun in the midst of the city because God is with them. Peter is saying, turn back. Turn back to a God who is with you. Who is with you and he is for you. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding for us. That in the great courtroom of heaven, when Satan comes to bring charge against God's elect and he stands before God and he says, hey, look, listen, Daryl blew it again. And Satan is right so what makes him such a turd is that he's right. That when he comes to God, when he comes to God before him and is making accusation against us, he's right. We've sinned. We've messed up. We've blown it. We've relationally, we're broken. Sexually, we're broken. Emotionally, we're broken. All those things are true. And then Jesus stands up and he shows his scars and he says, look at the scars in my hands and in my feet. Even though those things are true about Daryl, I have covered them with my blood. And it's as if they never existed. That's what Jesus does for you in the throne room of heaven every day. This is why Peter says, return to me. Return and remember the covenant because there's a new covenant that is made in my blood, which we're gonna celebrate here in a minute, that the body and the blood of Jesus are representative of you and that your sin and your shame has been taken away and placed on him and in turn, we have been given his righteousness so that we stand before God pure and blameless. This is what scripture is telling us. This is what Peter is preaching. This is why we can sit and pray and ask, Lord, would you hasten the day that that's true because we're suffering and we need it to be alleviated. That we can go safe and secure into the arms of Christ who loved you, who loved us and gave himself up 
for us. Friends, let us turn from our sin. Let us heed the words of Peter in verse 19. Let us repent and turn back to God and go leaping into the arms of the Father as we see that the promise was good for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, where do we begin? Jesus, where do I begin? Knowing the sin and the shame and the sadness, and the, the disappointment, the gladness, the joy, all the emotions that rule my life, all the emotions that rule the lives of my friends here. Uh, Lord, would you, through your Holy Spirit, make clear the path back to you. Remind us of your goodness. Uh, remind us of what you've done. Lord, as we come to your table, uh, remind us that your body and your blood uh, offer us a foretaste uh, of the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will experience every moment in heaven uh, when all things are renewed. Uh, so Jesus, would you hasten that day? Hasten the day of your return. Lord, we pray with the saints, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you, uh, will you avenge us, Lord? How long until you return? So Jesus, would you hasten your day? Hasten the moment of your return uh, that we can rejoice with you uh, leaping in heaven. Uh, it's in your name we do pray. Amen.